The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. At my signal, unleash hell. Welcome. Happy Tuesday. You're listening to News Talk Saga 960. Mark Petrani with you for the next two solid gold hours of freedom-loving news talk. Awesomeness. So very glad you could join us on this Tuesday edition of the Mark Petrani Show. Thank you for supporting our terrific sponsor, Blue Harbor Financial. Jeff McGilvery and his team are the financial planning and insurance experts. Just go to askjeff.ca. Jeff's my guy. He's helped me out enormously with my retirement planning, and I think he can help you out as well. And you're not going to know for sure until you go to his site and ask questions. Find out more. Askjeff.ca. Ask G-E-O-F-F dot C-A. Well, the attack on Elon Musk now, going into high gear. Musk responding, Apple has mostly stopped advertising on Twitter. Do they hate free, spe- free speech in America? I think that's a rhetorical question. No need for a a question mark at the end of that. Do they hate free speech? Obviously they do. They're talking about deplatforming Musk's uh, Twitter app. And so what's that about? Well, that's about the fact that Apple is very much opposed to uh, free speech in America or anywhere else. They like the Chinese model. They like the model that you say what the government approves. You have government-approved speech and you have nothing. You have silence. Those are your options in China. You can either be silent or you can say exactly what the government uh, thinks you should say. So that's also the blackface model. That's Trudeau thinking, yeah, we want that in Canada. That's why they're moving towards censorship. That's why they're moving towards bills that regulate the Internet, that police social media posts. These people are slime balls. They're scum. They need to be opposed at every step of the way. And so uh, obviously Twitter is facing a backlash from all these tech oligarchs who say, no, 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 we can't have that. We can't have a free speech platform. We need speech regulated on all platforms. That's what scumbags like Tim Cook advocate. And by the way, I'll be talking a little later about how good it is, frankly, that uh, the protests in China are going to cost the iPhone production millions of phones, millions of dollars. It's, it looks good on you, Tim. It really does. And so here's Musk pushing back. So if if Twitter ever needed the support of people who advocate free speech, it is now. Some pushback from those who don't like Pierre Polyev's advocacy for uh, other measures aimed at, you know, dealing with drug dealers. All right. Polyev came out and posted this. Decriminalizing deadly drug use is the opposite of compassionate. This is exactly the direction that the, the Trudeau regime is moving towards. Yeah, they want to decriminalize possession of things like uh, small amounts of heroin, for instance. Hmm, yeah, good idea. Not. He says, those struggling with addiction need treatment and recovery. Drug dealers need strong policing and tough sentences. Yeah, decriminalizing drugs? You think that's going to you know, ease the situation? Well, now you've got people like this. Uh, let's see, he's a UBC law professor. Okay, so you've got the... 
hard left in British Columbia coming out and saying, uh, well, make no mistake, Pierre Polyev is on record as supporting the criminalization of people who use drugs. Look, I personally don't care what you do. I, that's my school of thought. I, you know, I feel sorry for you if you're of that mindset that uh, you need to use illicit drugs. I really do. I think you need help. And, you know, I think there should be a way to help these people. He goes on to say addiction isn't a crime. Well, now we're going to make it even more, uh, you know, we're creating more incentive here. <laughs> it's not even going to be illegal. I guess uh, having a little bit of heroin, like Coke, right? Is that what's going to, is that what's going to be okay now? Yeah, he's only, yeah, he's only got enough uh, for himself. The, the war on drugs, he says, has been costly, ineffective, and cruel. Really? Tell me about the success story in Vancouver, <laughs> you know, where you see tent cities over there filled with drug addicts. Tell me, tell me all about that measure by the hard left government out there. How is that working for you there, professor? I don't want to pay. I don't think taxpayers should be on the hook for safe injection sites. I don't think they should. There, I said it. I mean it. I think, I think this is a stupid idea. And I think decriminalizing drugs sends a message like, hey, it's okay. No problem. You want to do a, a little bit of heroin? You know what? As long as it's for yourself, we're not going to we're not going to do anything. That's the way these people think. And it doesn't matter how much failure their policies lead to. They're going to point at other people and say, yeah, well, you know, that guy doesn't have the answer. He's talking about criminalizing it. It is a crime. And it should stay a damn crime as far as I'm concerned. Looks like we're headed for an election uh, this spring after all. The Toronto Sun has a story that uh, Trudeau's liberals... This is by Brian Lilly over at the Toronto Sun. Trudeau's liberals tell MPs to be election ready, raise cash by spring. So there you go. That pretty much uh, is serving notice to everybody that uh, we're going to the polls. Will Canadians be heading to the polls? Says the story, the column. Headed to the polls for a federal election next spring. (laughs) Sure looks that way. That remains to be seen writes Lily, but uh, we do know the Trudeau liberals have told their troops to be ready. Yes, be ready. The governing party has informed its current members of parliament that if they want to hold the nomination heading, that if they want to hold the nomination heading into the next election, they need to get busy with fundraising and campaigning now. According to a posting, well, you know what this is? This is really on the heels of the... uh, sense, I think, in the part of many in the party and, and outside the party that, uh, you know, he skated uh, through this inquiry. And he got through it. It's no problem. Ancient history now. We're going to be fine. It'll be by spring. It'll all be forgotten. And so he goes on to say, to write in this story, according to a posting on the Liberals' own website, MPs are expected to have at least three voter contact days of action and to have attempted at least 3,500 door knocks and 7,500 phone calls. Now, this story as well on the Twitter front. Twitter stops enforcing COVID-19 misinformation policy. So this tells me that uh, Elon Musk is all in on protecting and defending free speech on that platform. Twitter will no longer enforce its COVID-19 misinformation policy under which users who deviated from prevailing establishment narratives frequently had their 
accounts locked or suspended. Mine was definitely shadow banned. The long-standing policy did not apply to misinformation from government officials who frequently lied about things such as transmission, masks, vaccine efficacy, side effects, or any other so-called science, which turned out to be patently false. And by the way, over the course of time, we find out more and more information about how Big Pharma misled people, flat-out lied in some cases about the effects, about the efficacy, especially around children. They really pushed hard uh, to, to push the, and continue to push hard for shots for, for younger and younger kids. And if you believe RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., there are legal reasons why they did that in order to defend themselves and their, their you know, the, the ability of these treatments to be used on an emergency basis. And so uh, it was all, it was very important for Big Pharma to push the idea that these things were safe and uh, effective for children. And now we see more and more evidence coming out that uh, efficacy is not guaranteed. It's, you can still spread. I mean, and then they go back and try to rewrite history and say, oh, we didn't say that. We didn't say that at all. Anyway, this is good news because it'll mean that more and more information, alternative forms of information, will become uh, readily available for distribution on that platform. I think it's uh, it's great, and it and it shows that he's not backing off. So this Elon Musk is a guy who's who's he's not going to be pushed around, and I think that's terrific. Uh, Twitter has stopped enforcing its COVID-19 misinformation policy as of November the 23rd. That was uh, released and from from Twitter, I guess. And um, I say good. All right, so they've registered the election results in Arizona, but it doesn't change the fact that there were strong evidences pointing towards uh, fraud, massive fraud. Here's a poll worker explaining how his entire polling location was inoperable when they opened on Election Day, when most Republicans tend to vote. A quote here by Colton Duncan. This is getting very, very bad for Maricopa County. Very bad, like unbelievably so. Let's listen. Tom Vonick, I am a Maricopa County resident. Um, I worked as a registration clerk at the Dysart Community Center at 14414 North El Mirage Road on November 7th and 8th. On November 7th, we had a few issues with the printers, but uh, by the end of the day, we had everything functioning properly. On the 8th, we arrived for our shift at 5.30 a.m. When we started our equipment check, none of the site books would connect to the server. All right. Sabotage. That's what it was. Sabotage. We couldn't even access the time clock to punch in. These are the machines that don't connect to the Internet, but they wouldn't connect to the Internet, so we couldn't, we couldn't start our day. Anyway, our troubleshooter was not on site and could not immediately be reached, so we called the county hotline. The hotline was unable to resolve our issues, so we asked for a T-Tech to be dispatched to our location. Meanwhile, voters began to show up, and we started explaining to them what was going on. By 6 a.m., we had a small crowd, 10 to 15 voters, and we had to tell them we had no way of checking them in. 
They could either wait for the problem to be resolved or go to another polling location to vote. Most of them left. Eventually, our troubleshooter showed up but could not fix the problem, and he suggested that we continue to wait for the T-Tech. While we were waiting, more voters showed up and had to be given their options. At least 50 people were turned away in this process. The T-Tech eventually showed up and got the site books to communicate with the main server, so we were able to clock in for our shift, but there was still a communication issue with the printers. When we finally ran test prints and it looked like the issue was fixed, we announced that the polls were open and I checked in the first voter. It was now about 7 a.m. The first voter was checked in, but the printer immediately failed to print her ballot. We again started scrambling to figure out the problem and managed to get it resolved fairly quickly. We were officially in business, but we All were right. over I'm an so hour I'm so sorry. Late. Your your time is up. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. My friends, got to take a break. Back with more on Newstalk Saga 960 and the Mark Petronas Show after this. Stream us live at Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. We're back with more on News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us on this Tuesday edition of the Mark Petroni Show. We have George Ann Burke, who is Senior Vice President of Pathway Group. She's a communications strategist and expert on all things political on both sides of the border, being Canadian and American. She's back in the free state of Florida now. How does it feel being back in Florida, George Ann? Warm, sunny, and free. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, no, okay, fine. I, I get the warm and sunny bit, but why does, and, and, you know, and I'm not being uh, obtuse here, why does it feel more free to you? Uh, well, first of all, there is a, an attitude down here that people um, are entitled to uh, do what they want to do with their own lives. The government here in Florida specifically stays out of people's private lives. They they focus on the things that government is supposed to do, like helping people when they have a massive hurricane, yeah. get yeah. things fixed right away so life can get back to normal, help them get access to the services and the finances that they need to pull themselves out of a horrible situation. That's what government should be doing. They shouldn't be focusing on all this crazy garbage that we're seeing in other other state governments, frankly, in the United States. Not a lot, not everyone, but some. And and what we see in Canada, um, they they focus on the things that government is supposed to do. Government is here to serve the people, and that is the attitude of it here. So it it flows over into how people feel. You go outside, and people are smiling. The stores are packed. The, um, you know, the, the venues where they have events and concerts and all that are full. Um, the playhouses are full. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I don't know, I have, I have yet to see anybody dying in the streets here. This is, and, and, and masks, by the way, are completely optional. There are people that wear them. Um, there's no question about it. And I, if they want to wear a mask, I got no problem. That's totally their business. Yeah. Um, but just don't force me to. Um, there are people who have gotten multiple boosters. 
but the government will not allow them here in the state to be mandated. They're saying this is between a doctor and a patient. If right. a doctor re- uh, feels it's important, this patient's a high-risk patient, and they think it will help them, it's between the doctor and the patient. It's not the business of the governor- government to get involved. What a concept. I know, Didn't I know. It used it's to shocking, be like that in Canada. I thought it used to be like that in Canada for a while there. It, it was. It and, actually wasn't. It's actually part of the Charter of Rights. The, this is bodily autonomy. This is not. They, it's recognized in our in our documents that this is something that is not the business. Of, somehow, um, somehow we've decided. Not we, but they. Yeah. They have decided that this is their business. And what shocks me is that Canadians don't fight back. They don't fight back. This, I mean, some yeah. do. We know they did with a with a convoy and a few other places. But they're just. Uh, they're treated like they're insane and and crazy and yeah. you know put down and uh, uh, you know people. I mean, I remember polls that said that if you if you didn't get vaccinated, you should be put in prison. Yeah. So you know, twenty seven percent of Canadians thought that. I mean, that's mental illness to me to have a, yeah, an well, idea like that. There was that. talk of depriving people of uh, of health care if they hadn't gotten the right. shots. I remember. I remember that. That was. Oh and, yes. and when I saw that. Um, I bought my ticket south. I mean, I look, uh, you know, it's one thing for the government to start talking like that, but when everybody around you seems to be nodding their head, thinking, yeah, that's, that's right. a good idea, that's when you start thinking, maybe I'm in the wrong place. I, I love Canada. I'm a Canadian. That's not going to change. But um, sometimes, you know, the wake-up call happens, and you think, did my country leave me at some point? And that's the point right. that I reached. Uh, election yep. this spring talk lots of talk about that what do you think so i don't tend to be a person that says because a party uh all of a sudden decides to um all of a sudden because a party decides to have their candidates get nominated and tells them they have to raise money that uh that means there's going to be an election okay i think the liberal party is doing this for uh, one reason is that they're in a lot of financial trouble they are not really? bringing in the kind of money that the conservatives are yeah i mean like they're the government they're the they're the party in power they should be fundraising money should be pouring into them but it's not the other thing is of course that they have some problems because um they're going to have to have nominations um, in places where they don't have candidates now or where they had candidates they don't want to run again and things like that. So they're trying to work that out. But the reason for forcing nominations and the way they're doing it, if you notice, their rules are if you want to be a candidate, if you want to be, if you're a, an incumbent and you want to keep your incumbency, you have to raise a certain amount of money. So that tells you what you really need to know. This The money is the issue here. Um, there were rumors they were going to run in the fall. I'm sure that when they... Uh, saw that Pierre Poliev uh, had way more popularity than they thought. This is the guy they wanted, by the way, for leader. They said, oh, yeah, we want this guy because they felt he was unelectable, unelectable. When you have a party now that has 600 plus thousand members, okay, uh, and has brought back a lot of the conservative family that have walked away in disgust in 2021, um, plus he has reached out to young voters and independent voters, you know, the swing voters, the part, the ones who, who go back and forth. He's reached out to them with his message, which is one of positivity and hope. And he understands that things have to change. And he also talks about freedom, personal uh, autonomy, personal freedom. These are things that do matter to people, whether uh, the existing current government likes to hear it or not. So they got what they wished for, and I bet they're sorry now. So I'm not so sure they're so eager to get into an election. 
Um, they are certainly hoping they can dirty him up in some way. You know, periodically they bring back the C-R-Y-P-T-O word, you know, to try to say, oh, look at how irresponsible that was. Uh, everybody makes a mistake, and I think that was a mistake on his part, but he's not, he isn't focused on that now, which is good. There's a lot of things, though, that they should be careful about what they think they can do. However, the Conservative Party can take nothing for granted, I can assure you. These people have an incredible ability to control the message because they own the media, and I mean literally own the media. They're bought and paid for. And um, that, that means they have to find, and, and Pierre's smart enough to know this, alternative methods to get to the voters. And he, they have done this. They go to local newspapers. They talk directly to local reporters. They go to the kind of um, the, 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 the uh, media that is not in the mainstream as much. They go on radio where people will hear them in the, in the local area, um, places where they have much more control over the media. The, the Ottawa Press Gallery, I know, thinks they're the most important people on the earth. But the fact is that he talks to them when he feels like it, but he doesn't see them as the most important. He sees actually the reporters that are out in the towns and the cities across the country where they're local, where they understand the local issues, where they'll, where they'll ask real questions. He doesn't mind answering real questions. He is not interested in the gotcha questions that they ask in the press gallery because they're so they're just so slick and smart and smarmy. So um, I think that um, he's he is doing what he can do. He's focused on the economy, which I think is probably a good thing um, because it's a mess right now. Uh, and somebody's got to talk about it. They're doing everything they can not to talk about it. So he has to keep a focus on that. Um, but there are a lot of other issues out there that uh, he will be very strong on, that they will be very weak on. Um, should they decide to run for run an election. And I think if I were them, maybe they're saying we ought to do it now before he gets too much stronger. Maybe that's what their concern is. I don't know. But I'm not betting on a spring election. I'm going to wait and see what actually, where they actually go with this. Um, I do know our party has oftentimes two, three years ahead said to candidates, you need to raise money. And they had similar rules. You have to raise a certain amount of money if you want to keep your uh, you know, your right to run as an incumbent for a nomination. They don't, they, you know, they did grandfather some people in or protect them or whatever. I don't particularly like that. I think everybody should be able to be um, uh, contested as a candidate. Um, if, you know, it, it actually increases interest and um, uh, uh, brings people more into the political process when there is a nomination battle. Um, I know that the incumbents don't like it, but that's just too bad, you know. Um, so whatever, it, it's commonplace for political parties to do things this way. Uh, not surprising. So it doesn't always mean there's going to be an election. It just means they're they're raising, they're trying to raise funds, they're trying to raise their profile, they're trying to get their candidates out kind of earlier so that people know who they are, so they don't have to do as much legwork when it comes time to actually run an election. Incredible silence from people like Joe Biden. Uh, over the state of uh, Chinese protests right now, D not sure Appalling. why. Talk about Appalling. that. I mean, this is this is a an amazing thing that's going on in China. Is millions, literally millions of Chinese people rise up against these zero COVID lockdown policies, and uh, we've heard precious little from the Biden administration or or the Trudeau administration for that matter. What do you make of this? Well, the statement, quote unquote, that was made by John Kirby yesterday about how we support you know, free, free, uh, for the freedom to protest peacefully was like, pardon me, what are you talking about? Like, that's, that's not what we need to say here. What we need to do is condemn this government for, for sealing people in a building so that 11 people 
or I guess it was 10 people, including a child, were killed in a fire because they couldn't get into the building to get them out to fight the fire. Uh, you know, not to mention the beatings in the street and the and the jailing and the the rounding up of people and putting them in. Uh, I, I am very careful when I use this word, but concentration camps where they're putting people that they're, they're not obedient, they're not doing what they're told, so they're gathering them up and they're putting them in these camps where they can control them. And, uh, you know, uh, nobody's saying anything. I think it's absolutely horrifying what they're doing. Uh, you know, I cannot understand it. Yeah. Uh, and, this, and, to have, and to have, by the way, there's been almost nothing from the Canadian government. Almost nothing. Uh, you know, it, it, weasel words do not count here. Yeah. They need to condemn Xi. They need to say... That if the people of China want him gone, that's their right. You know, they're not. We're not getting involved in their internal politics, but we are going to say that from the standpoint of democratic nations, this is unacceptable behavior by any government. Yeah, it's. Uh, I find it shocking. You're mention, mentioning the media coverage, CTV coming out almost sounding like an apologist for the uh, Chinese Communist well, Party, saying, "Well, you know, zero policies yeah. saved lives. There's just no exit strategy. You know, the, this was an, an unbelievably cruel strategy. This was cruelty." Well, and, and by the way, this uh, this is not what this is about. You do understand that this is not about zero. No, of COVID. course not. Of course not. No, no thinking human being believes under any circumstance that there's such a thing as zero COVID. There is no such thing. COVID is like. Well, the flu. Brilliant Taylor Lorenz. <laughs> the brilliant Taylor Lorenz actually said it herself. You know yeah. who I mean. She actually said, "Well, you know, it comes in all these different iterations every year. There's 40 different kinds. That's right. Just yeah. like the cold, it shows yep. up every year. Just like the flu, shows up every year with a new iteration. And we don't shut the world down because of that. So why are they doing this? This is nothing to do with COVID. Nothing. 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 I repeat. And it's the same with our government when they start talking about masking kids and they start talking about." forcing more vaccinations, and they talk about locking down again. I assure you that is not what this is about. It is about control. It is about finding ways to force people to report where they are and what they're doing. People need to fight back. This is not conspiracy theory. No. This is actually what these guys are doing. Um, I will give some people some small credit because there are probably some people who agree with this who don't see what is going on. But the people who are behind it know exactly what they're doing. We're seeing a little bit more uh, more videos, uh, more pointed attacks by Pierre Polyev. There was a, a lull in which uh, some of the media actually went after Pierre Polyev and said, well, gee, he's been awfully quiet over there during the convoy inquiry. But, well, what else would you expect? I mean, you had the, the government, uh, the folk, very much the focus of questions and, and justifiably so over the handling of, of the convoy, the Emergencies Act and the rest of it. Somehow they went after tried to get uh, Paul Yev to pipe up and say something in order to distract everybody from what the government was saying. Uh, that wasn't working. But now he's he's back now, focused on the uh, consumer. Uh, liberals won't cancel their plan to raise home heating prices. And Freeland responds by talking about dental care. So we're back on the economy. Has the convoy stuff faded into the backdrop? And do you see any political impact uh, as a result of that? So um, I actually kind of asked this question the other day about, you know, is, uh, is Pierre going to talk about this at all? I was curious. And their answer was that, first of all, this, the, the inquiry part, the public inquiry part is over, but we don't have a decision from the, from the commissioner yet. We don't know where this is going to be taken. We don't know if this is going to be declared 
as having been an inappropriate use of the Emergencies Act. I hope so, because it's obvious to me that it was. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, uh, let's see what the commissioner says. And I think that appropriately to comment on it now based on, you know, like every single word that came out of every single person's mouth is probably not necessary. When the commissioner comes out with a report, depending on what the report says, perhaps the opposition will take some public, will make a public statement about that. It's something they have to think about carefully because it's kind of a quasi legal process. I don't think they necessarily want to criticize a commissioner uh, or apply criticism of a of commissioner nor influence that commissioner by making public statements. So I think it's probably a smart strategy to just be quiet and let it happen. I don't think um, for many people it will ever fade from their minds what happened there. Um, I would be one of those. I think, unfortunately, for the vast majority of Canadians, and I'm talking probably 80%, um, it's already they don't care. First of all, people who didn't live in Ottawa, other than kind of crumping around like their usual selves, like Canadians whining about something, um, they don't really care because it didn't impact them at all. So all this garbage about economic impact from the convoy was just so much garbage. There just wasn't. Okay. They shut down a bridge for a couple of days and that like, Oh, $10 billion worth of whatever. Yeah. Okay. Tell it to somebody who believes you're nonsense. So this, that was an excuse for the Emergencies Act. It wasn't a factual thing. Besides which, the Emergencies Act doesn't say economic impact, doesn't say an economic risk. It doesn't talk about that. It's actually talking about people fighting in the streets with guns and, you know, burning buildings down and, and asking for the yeah. overthrow of the government. They've, they've tried every which way <clears throat> to find a route to justify their behavior, but I don't think it's there. So the question will be, does the commissioner agree with that? We'll see. We'll see what he comes back with. Um, but I think it, that the conservatives have to focus on the future, and the future of this country depends on a whole bunch of things, some of, some of which are economic. Others are the, the, the way the country operates. Um, you know, I, I think that Pierre's talked about the gatekeepers who are holding things back in this country. And he's right about that. Everybody knows that is true. They're gatekeepers of all kinds. They're gatekeepers within the government. They're gatekeepers in the media. They're gatekeepers in a lot of different places that need to be called to account for holding this, holding Canada back. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I think that this is kind of the, this is kind of the, uh, the approach that he should be taking. He should be talking about things that matter to Canadians he has to be careful not to fall into the trap that the Republicans fell into in the U.S., which was because the economy was bad, uh, because there were problems, we're going to be okay. They actually have to have a real uh, strategy for how they're going to fix things. They have to have concrete ideas, not a 10,000-page platform that nobody's ever going to look at. They have to come up with five achievable things that they will do that people can look at and say, you know, if they did those five things, my life would be better. That's what they need to do. And we'll be back with more on Saga 960 after this brief commercial break. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. George Ann Burke joining us on Saga 960 
this Tuesday edition of the Mark Petronas Show. Always a pleasure having George Ann on the show. This tweet by Daniel Smith, Premier of Alberta. No Albertan should lose their job, have their child banned from activities, denied a service, or be otherwise discriminated against because they chose or choose not to be vaccinated or boosted. We will look at the laws used during the pandemic. I mean, you were speaking about bodily autonomy earlier, how this is a a fundamental right. Not only should be a fundamental right for every human being. Why is that such a controversial thing? I don't I don't think it is, but for some reason the media has gone bat crap crazy over this. Well, so here's the thing. They believe in bodily autonomy when it's their issue. A woman's right to choose abortion. Oh, bodily autonomy. It's her body, her choice. But they cannot <clears throat> extrapolate that. They cannot extend that to other things like you know, having things put into your body that you don't want, things that you don't agree with. There's actually a very interesting study that just came out. I don't know if you saw it, but that people under the age of 40 had no visible positive or negative impact from getting the vaccine. It did not do one thing to improve their COVID free or COVID status at all, not even keeping them less sick. There's a, this study just came out I saw it a few days ago and it was done. It came out in Lancet, which is not exactly the, uh, um, the location of the most hardcore uh, right wing quote unquote conspiracy ideas about COVID. Okay. This is actually a study that was done. And it, what they're saying is that they're not seeing any significant positive impact in people under the age of 40 from COVID vaccine. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not surprised at all because generally speaking, if you're young, you know, under the age of 40 and you're healthy, you are not going to be harmed by this disease. You're not going to get that sick if you get it. um, And you'll get over it if you get it. If you're somebody with high risk, you should always be careful. You should go to your doctor. And if your doctor suggests you, maybe this may help you. Okay, fine. That's between you and your doctor. But the very fact that the government thinks that they have the right to tell me I must get vaccinated. They're even talking about forcing people to get a flu vaccine. I don't want to break the news, folks out there, but I've never had the flu vaccine, not once ever in my life. I had the flu once in 25 years and I survived it. Wow. You know, Um, but but I don't want anybody to tell me if my doctor suggests it, I will certainly listen to the doctor. Um, If I respect my doctor, that's why I go to them, then I might do it. But. I don't want the government telling me what I should do. And, and I don't, and I don't see why this is controversial. Danielle Smith is 100% correct. And they should review those laws and they should take any of regulations or whatever they are and get rid of them and actually say that this is not permitted in the province of Alberta, that we are abiding by the charter of rights and freedoms, which means that people do have bodily autonomy, that they do get to make these decisions for themselves. The, um, Got to ask you about this, this ongoing fight now. You've got the tech oligarchs ganging up on Elon Musk. Uh, my, mm-hmm. Musk pushing back now, saying <laughs> Apple uh, has threatened to withhold Twitter app from its app store, but won't tell us why. Does Apple oppose free speech in America? They've stopped advertising on Twitter. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. They, they've, they are terrified of Twitter now. Twitter now moving yeah. towards more free speech, and uh, Elon. That's okay. Pushing. He did. He did a little. He did a little poll. Yes. You know, Go Twitter or, or Apple, and Twitter won big. <laughs> so, you know, people are saying we're going to opt in favor of free speech. 
We're going to opt in favor of freedom of expression. And you know what? There are things that are said on Twitter that I absolutely hate. Okay. Things I find annoying, disgusting, horrible. Um, You know, when you, as long as you don't go to the point where you're breaking the law, like wishing, you know, like asking people to kill or harm or, or do something illegal to another person, um, you know, uh, or fomenting, um, when I say hate, I mean actual hate, you know, violence yes, against yes. a group or a person. Yeah. Okay. And I, I'm not talking about, you know, and making people feel bad. I'm talking about actual violence, the real thing, the thing that we all know is violence. Uh, so I think a short of that, we should just stay out of it and let people, yeah. um, you know, have their conversations and just say, you know, if you, you, you can, you can argue, you should argue, you should discuss, it should hopefully be civil. I mean, I think Elon Musk handles some of the controversial things that are said to him extremely well. He does it with humor. He, um, he responds back. He's not afraid to respond back and he does. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's very important that that is the kind of, uh, of level of discussion that you need to have. Um, I have people that are friends of mine that I disagree with on policy, political issues, but we can still be friends. We can go out to dinner. We can have fun at a party. We can even talk politics civilly. And we can at the end sometimes say, well, let's agree to disagree. Or let's not talk about that topic again because it just makes each of us mad. Okay, but that's what you do when you're a normal human being with with friends from all different parts of of life. Somehow that's all disappeared. I don't I don't understand why um, anybody would want to live in a world where it wasn't that way. All right. But apparently, some people enjoy the controversy. So yeah, I've got to ask you. By the way, while well, we got you in line, the internal squ- squabble struggle over uh, who's going to be Speaker of the House. And yeah. um, is is there, there obviously there's a war between the MAGA types and uh, the more establishment Republican types? What's go to what degree could this undermine things as uh, as the House eventually is transferred to uh, Republican control? Well, it, it could be a problem because um, it's going to depend on whether the Republicans internally uh, work out their differences, which would mean that if Kevin McCarthy wants to be speaker, he's going to have to concede some things to those, to those, I don't like calling them MAGA types. I like calling them actual real conservative Republicans. Um, I I think that, I think that um, he is going to have to concede some things to them that he needs to do that and things he's not going to do, which have been done in the past, which annoy and aggravate and anger those of us who are in the more conservative wing of the party. And, uh, you know, I think that these are people who want um, the Republicans to stand up for freedom, for liberty. They want them to be uh, uh, tougher on a lot of issues, and they don't want the swampy behavior that we see all the time in Washington. And, you know, Kevin McCarthy, uh, people sing his praises, and I'm like, yeah, he's not that praiseworthy. Okay, he's part of the establishment there. So if he wants to continue to be a to be a leader, and it's not a bad spokesperson for the party, he usually says the right things. Is what he does that's a problem. These guys have to hold his seat to the fire and say, if you do those things, you're going to have a problem. You're not going to have our support. We're going to undermine you. So he has. They have to make some deals beforehand. I think it can happen. I actually saw that today a Democratic congressman from Virginia passed away. He had he was reelected with people knowing that he had terminal cancer. So unfortunately in Virginia, they can't just appoint a congressman because um, Youngkin's the governor, he would appoint a Republican. So they're going to have to have a special election and that'll happen pretty quickly. I would say sometime in the next few months. 
Um, so we'll see. I don't know if they're going to elect a Democrat or a Republican, but it's going to it's it still keeps the the two eighteen where it was, even though there's one less person in Congress. Um, he still got his two eighteen. I mean, he has the majority. So the question is, can he keep his internal um, arguments and problems? under control or, or cut some kind of deal with these guys if they're happy enough that they'll give them their vote. Um, we, I already know that some of the things that they wanted to do failed, um, the, the, this more conservative wing, that the internal things that we haven't seen in the media, they, they failed. And there were real efforts to, to have them pass. So there's a lot of strength in the traditional Republican side. Um, so they may not be, uh, the, the only thing they may have left to them is you know, being absent the day of the vote for, for majority leader rather than, I mean, I don't think they vote for a Democrat, but you know, they could actually hurt Kevin McCarthy uh, by not showing up. He might not have enough votes. And then by, by default, it would go to someone else, to a Democrat or someone else. So I don't know, you know, what their internal plans are. I kind of hear things periodically. Um, and I did hear when I was in Washington a couple of weeks ago, some things that they were planning and they didn't actually pan out the way they wanted to. So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tough slog uphill. But the one thing they do have, as I said, is if they don't show up or they vote against, you know, some people may look and say, well, you just elected a Democrat speaker or somebody, you know, less that we don't want. But that's the price you pay for not being a principled conservative. So. Yeah, I and I tend to uh, agree with those who think that the, the party should be wrested away from the establishment Republicans and in favor of, uh, mm-hmm. of populists. And I, t- to me, that reflects the sentiment of a lot more Americans than the people who are just all, you know, party people. I would so agree. To speak. Uh, but that's... I would agree. All right, so a couple of other things we got to get to. Uh, now, I guess the move towards Trump running, I mean, we already know he's going to do that. Uh, have you, are you hearing any more about the DeSantis stuff where well, you have people like Elon Musk coming out and saying, you know, DeSantis 2024? Um, I know that's not going to deter I think Trump. There, I, think there's, I think there's a fair bit of sentiment um, for there to be um, a competition. I heard an interesting uh, – I listen to Mark Levin uh, fairly often. He's a very yeah. interesting guy from uh, – I, I know you know who he is. If, yeah. if other listeners don't, he's a conservative uh, American talk show guy. Um, he has a show every night from six to nine on Sirius XM. And he was talking about this, um, this controversy of, you know, DeSantis, uh, Trump and Trump insulting DeSantis and should DeSantis run and all of this. And his answer was the following, all these rhinos that are sticking their noses into that situation and commenting about it and attacking Donald Trump and so forth. Um, are not helping the situation. He said, I wish they'd all go away because they're not good people anyway to run. The only people that he sees, and I agree with him, that are viable candidates for the party are Trump and DeSantis. And he said, let them go head on. Let them have a, let them duke it out. And whoever wins, what the other should get behind that person. And I would tend to agree with that. I think that that's exactly what needs to happen because it actually reflects kind of two similar. There's a, they, they attract some of the same people, but there's also a different, they have a different approach to how they they handle everything, you know, publicly and otherwise. And I think it will be interesting to see what people choose as to the direction they would like to go. Um, and I do believe that um, it would be, uh, you know, a battle royal for sure. Um, I just think that what, what I find interesting is that Trump has stopped insulting DeSantis publicly, if you notice. 
Yeah. There hasn't been any more of that desanctimonious stuff. Yeah. And that's because somebody said to him, you're cutting off your nose despite your face because you are going right after your very own people who support you, people who like you. He got himself into a mess this week too with Kanye West and yeah. Nick Fuentes. Yeah. And that, and I, and you know, I, I kind of was thinking, why would he do that? Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's not an anti-Semite. I'm sorry. Sorry, folks, not an anti-Semite. I think he was trying to, trying to see if he could talk to these guys and say, could you like not do this? This is not helpful. Especially Kanye West, who says he's running for president. Uh, clearly, the guy has not got his head screwed on um, straight at all. There's problems there. And Nick Fuentes is a detestable person. I don't even understand why he would have had anything to do with him. That being said, um, this is, again, a, a mistake on Trump's part. Definitely a mistake. I don't think that he – I think he, he thinks he can get people in. He can talk to them, and they're just going to listen to him. These guys – that's not what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a guy who's got got mental health problems and another guy who's a rabid anti-Semite. Um, yeah. You're not going to change these people. So why would you even spend any time with them? All yeah. it does is hurt you because people don't know what you said to them behind closed doors. They only know what it looks like. And now they're after him. And it's not only Democrats that are after him, which I find amusing anyway. They're the biggest anti-Semites. But it's Republicans that are after him mm. saying, you know, we should disavow this. He angered the, the Jewish Republicans which was not very smart either because they're actually big supporters, big donors, big activists. They are, they're, they're people who come out for, they came out very strongly for Donald Trump in the past. He's hurting himself with, with, uh, with my own community. So that's not very uh, wise. Yeah. Sad, unfortunate. Uh, I, these unforced errors on the part of Trump are becoming uh, right. a problem and, uh, may undermine his bid for, uh, the leadership. Okay, I got to pack it in because uh, our time is done. So thank you once okay. again, George Ann. Really appreciate this as always. You're welcome, George Ann Burke, coming to us from the beautiful free state of Florida. Let's take a break. Back with more on News Talk Saga Nine Sixty and the Mark Petrona Show after this. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. You were listening to the Mark Petroni radio program heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. Back with more News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us on this Tuesday edition of the show. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the advisor, the pandemic expert that has advised successive presidents in the United States over pandemic situations, has come out and said, well, I'm almost sure I didn't fund creation of the COVID virus. This is one of the things that has largely been the purview of so-called conspiracy theorists. As people look around at who did this, And he certainly is a suspect as people wonder about the origins of COVID-19. Well, here he is talking to CNN about uh, the fact that he could come up, he could come, uh, he he may have to be compelled to appear before committees uh, questioning that very thing. Where did this thing come from and what was your role in it? Let's listen to this interview on CNN. Republicans are taking over the House of Representatives, which means there's going to be a lot of oversight hearings earlier in the program. We heard from uh, the the soon to be chairman of the oversight committee. Uh, And obviously they're going to hold hearings on the origins of covid. Uh, You have said that you think that it is likely that it was a natural development from animal to to human. 
uh, but that your mind is open about it possibly being from a totally. lab leak. Uh, and, and the investigation is going to be about specifically uh, whether there's any connection, if there was a lab leak, to U.S. investments uh, in virus research at the Wuhan uh, lab. Uh, it's possible, right? I mean... Well, well, it's possible that there's a lab leak, but if you look at the viruses that the NIH funded, and it was a very small grant, $120,000, $130,000 a year, uh, granting to study bat viruses in a surveillance way to see what's out there, if you look at those viruses and you look at the, the, what was done with the viruses, it would be essentially molecularly impossible for those viruses to turn into SARS-CoV-2 mm -hmm. because they were so evolutionarily distant that I can't tell you what's going on in all of China and in other things, but right. I can tell you for sure that if you look at the viruses that the NIH grant funded to study in a surveillance way, anybody who even has a peripheral understanding of evolutionary virology will tell you these viruses could not possibly turn into SARS-CoV-2. So when you talk about a leak, maybe there's a lab leak, but it's not with the viruses that the NIH was funding. That's almost how the hell does he know? That that's the case. Why? So what? <laughs> how would he know? Well, how that money was used? I mean, he said by his own admission, he couldn't oversee exactly what's going on over there. Uh, there is a, a story out of uh, uh, the United States. This is uh, the. This is Christy Nome. Okay, so she's a governor of uh, South Dakota. Uh, she says, I'm a wife, a mother, grandmother, farmer, rancher, on and on and on. Anyway, Christy's got some issues with the fact that um, the Chinese are buying so much of the farmland in the United States. Why wouldn't he have? Why wouldn't she have an issue with that? Why isn't this a bigger problem? I mean, it's starting to be discussed. <laughs> Mind you, you also have people weirdos like bill gates buying up a ton of that property as well uh, why are these people so fascinated so interested in getting into the uh, farmland business um, anyway christy Nome, as i said the governor of south dakota says this is a problem food security is a national security is national security we cannot allow china to continue their quest of buying up american farmland in south dakota we have implemented Restrictions on foreign land ownership. Absolutely, this is something that's needed. Let's listen to Christy Nome. A lot of these farmers, they don't have a lot of money in the bank to go out and put the seed, the fertilizer, and the chemical in the ground. They're borrowing that from the bank. So they're going out and getting operating notes at higher interest rates because of Joe Biden and borrowing it and putting it in the dirt and yeah. hoping that they can grow your food and give it to you in a way that helps them cash flow. We can't have our farmers go out of business uh, because they grow our food in this country. And when another country grows our food and supplies it, that's when they control us. I mentioned uh, what's going on in the Netherlands, the insistence on, on closing, shutting down 3,000 farms. And of course, we have this scumbag and criminal, Justin Trudeau, and his uh, cronies and, and henchmen going after farms, going after fertilizer with these draconian reductions in the use of uh, stuff that's helping to grow our food. They're going after your food. I mean, is there anything between your ears that says, hey, there's, there's a problem here. We have slime balls that are trying to hurt me, that are trying to hurt our country. Us. And so that's the reality of the long-term plan of policy and how it impacts our security as a nation.
100 percent. And to that point, Governor, we've heard stories now where the Chinese are coming in and, and mm -hmm. buying up huge plots of land. Much of this land is by U.S. military bases. Joe Biden mm -hmm. has done nothing to address this land purchase by the Chinese. Is there something well, that governors can do to stop me. these land purchases? Why, why would he do something about that when we've got open borders? You've got open borders in the United States as well. He's done nothing about that as well. All the actions that these people take seem calculated to hurt the very country that they're supposed to be defending. There's no doubt about that. Yes, there's some. Uh, but we have to look at what the long-term agenda has been of China. They've already bought up a lot of our fertilizer companies, a lot of our chemical companies, our processing systems. Now they're buying land, and they have been doing that for quite some time. In South Dakota, we have a state law that limits the amount of land a foreign entity can purchase. But we're going to reevaluate that. And we're also going to look at leases. Um, well, because China's come in and proposed long-term leases, 50-year leases on land, uh, that's dangerous as well. So we're going through all of those state statutes and making sure that they're protecting our state. I hope every single governor's doing that as well. Yeah, try going to China, buying up uh, vast tracts of farmland, see how far you get. And this is uh, what the U.S. administration thinks of the Chinese people rising up against their scumbag governments. Uh, Biden officials state Chinese protesters speak for themselves, fails to condemn the CCP lockdowns. We're watching this very closely. This is the quote in the story in the post-millennial. As you might expect, uh, again, we continue to stand up and support the right of peaceful protest. No, no, they don't. They don't support the right of peaceful protest at all. Not in Canada anyway. We've seen that. The convoy was a peaceful protest, and uh, it was still too much for the blackface regime. And I think, goes on the quote to say, I think we're going to watch this closely, and we're going to see where things go. <laughs> uh, okay, this is a, a reporter asking John Kirby. I guess this is uh, one of the spokespeople, one of the spokesbozos for, for Biden. Uh, if uh, earlier in the day, uh, see, the statement issued earlier in the day uh, included explicit calls for China to stop detaining and harming protesters and journalists, quote, we continue to stand up. OK, so the reporter asked John Kirby if a statement issued earlier in the day included explicit calls for China to stop detaining and harming protesters and journalists. So in other words, they issued a statement and it was a nothing burger statement. And uh, so the reporter said, well, you know, are you going to go further? In that realm, um, the statement you issued or that was issued earlier today, did it include any explicit calls for China to stop detaining and harming protesters and journalists? Why not? We're watching this closely, as you might expect we would. And again, we continue to stand up and support the right of peaceful protest. Um, and I think we're going to watch this closely and, and we'll see where things go. They're so afraid of offending the regime over there. Or are they working for the regime? Maybe that's part of it, too. I mean, it would explain things, wouldn't it, if you had people in the West who were deliberately uh, running interference for the Chinese party uh, in China on their behalf. Uh, that would explain it. That would certainly explain a few things. We know that they've bought off a number of uh, politicians and bureaucrats in the West, and continue to infiltrate our system. What's going on here? What's Why really have they done that? Well, they've done that in part because of what's going on in China. It, to my way of thinking, it has always been about shutting down opposition and consolidating power in their own country. You've got a billion and a half people over there, and a lot of them are 
looking for the same types of freedoms. As they get more money, as they get richer, they want to say over how their government is run. And the, and the government there knows it. But they want to, a tight fist uh, over their power. They want a stranglehold over the lives of, of the Chinese people in the country. They don't want to surrender power to them. They want to be their overlords. Uh, so th- these are people with a uh, totalitarian mindset, right? And so they look at the West and they say, well, the Chinese people are going to look and think, well, those people have freedom. We want the same things they do. And so what has the CCP devoted much of its time to? Or was they've devoted their time to destroying freedom in the West. That's what they want to do. That's why they've, <laughs> you'll read some of the headlines in the newspapers serving now as apologists for the Chinese Communist Party. It's unbelievable the encroachments they've made in the media over here. It's ludicrous. And so this is about saying, no, the West doesn't have anything you don't have, China. They don't have anything special. Look over there. They're crushing convoys. They don't allow protests. You know, uh, they're throwing uh, rabble-rousers in prison. And so, you know, you don't have to demand things that uh, other people have because they don't have them either. Do you understand the mindset? They want to be able to tell their own people there is no freedom over there. They're throwing protesters in prison. And so that is done with an aim to crushing the freedom movement at home. They know they can't keep word of what we do with the Internet uh, out of China. There's, you know, there's, there is a free flow of goods and people. And so when they see what's going on here, they think, well, we want that back home. And the Chinese are devoting their energy, their resources, a lot of them, to destroying the freedoms that we enjoy over here. That's why they have a guy like Blackface running Canada. He's, you know, he's he's a perfect little servant to them. (laughs) What does he come out and say? What has he said? He said, yeah, I admire the Chinese dictatorship. Well, that gets back to the folks at home. You think people in China don't know that? Do you think people in China haven't heard that blackface thinks that dictatorship is just the greatest thing? Of course. Well, that's aimed at trying to squelch the demands for freedom in that country. That's why they do it. That's why they destroy freedoms. That's why they corrupt politicians. That's why they undermine the institutions that we value in the West, because they aim to destroy those institutions so that the people back home in China don't constantly demand the freedoms that we have because they can say, look, look over there. You know, they've got a guy running Canada who admires our system. So shut the hell up about demanding freedoms. And you know what? It's not working. China, is it? It's not working. And by the way, speaking of bought-off media, global TV lobbies for grants, they know that um, their business model has changed. They can't rely on people tuning in and being good little consumers and uh, allowing advertising to serve as their main source. I mean, it, it still does for these companies, but that's going out the window. People are tuning out of these organizations. And so Global TV now is lobbying for grants. They want more government money. 
This is a story in Blacklock support of the parent company that runs Global News. is lobbying Parliament for direct cash grants to subsidize employees' pay. You know, it was something I noticed recently because you've heard all sorts of word of layoffs at CNN, for instance, at MSNBC, cuts at these organizations. They don't have the viewers really to warrant the kind of expenditures that they are making. And so they have to look around and think, well, can't keep all these people around. They got to go. But Global has its own little solution. I mean, these companies really have become an extension of government PR. And so they're going uh, with their handout, cap in hand, saying, give us money. The quote on the story, unlike other Canadian news and broadcast content, Canadian Broadcast News is not entitled to ongoing direct financial support from the federal government. We want some of that fund, too. Yeah, managers wrote that in a submission to the Finance Committee. Chorus urges the federal government to redress this inequity. If they're getting money, we want some of that, too. Parliament in 2019 amended the Income Tax Act to pay 25% payroll rebates to a maximum of $13,750 per employee in newsrooms that applied for subsidies and were approved by the Minister of Revenue. (laughs) Right. So these are government officials. These are cabinet people saying, yeah, they get money. The $595 million media bailout exempted TV and radio stations. Yeah, they didn't get any of that. And so Global saying, yeah, us too. We want more money, too. Yeah. Well, Lord Lord knows, maybe your product is the problem, Global. Have you considered that? <laughs> Let's take a break, my friends. Back with more on News Talk Saga 960 and the Mark Petronas Show after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga960. Well, I won't uh, lie to you. I do like being proven right. I mean, I have said it repeatedly that the source for a lot of the disinformation that came out about the convoy, we're talking about any number of the bogus stories about the convoy members being rapists and racists and supporters of the pre-Civil War Confederacy, Nazis, a Russian-backed attempt to overthrow the government. Yeah, but the the government, the, the prime minister described it as an occupation. Yeah, these people were occupying. Well, he's comparing it to what kind of occupation? The Warsaw Ghetto back in the 40s? Is that what the uh, the prime minister is talking about? Is that what he's comparing it to? Anyway, I have suggested, because I know how these people think and how these people operate, that the sources for all those crap stories that the media then put out was the government itself, or people associated with government, hangers-on, communications people, sympathetic members of parliament from other parties. And they put out those reports. They put out those bogus rumors 
unsubstantiated as they were, they fed it to their chumps in the media who were more than happy to run with them. And now we have this story in Blacklock's Reporter. The MP, MP spread Kremlin rumors. Green Party leader Elizabeth May privately circulated unsubstantiated media allegations of Kremlin involvement in the media convoy. The Freedom Convoy, excuse me. Freedom Convoy. <laughs> uh, records show, quote-unquote, hair-raising, she wrote in a confidential email to Cabinet. So here she is talking to Cabinet ministers, raising the specter of a convoy that was greased by Russian money. Hair-raising. <laughs> Uh, important reading on the role of Russian disinformation in convoy, all backed by nothing except rumors and crap. MP May, Sonic Gulf Islands, when are they going to throw that idiot out? Wrote in a February 21st email, the message referenced a commentary that that day, that day in the Vancouver-based website, the TIE, that attempted to draw ties between the Kremlin and convoy protesters. Quote, we have to wake up and take on this cancerous growth in our democracy, unquote. Well, the cancer, the cancerous growth is actually in government and people like yourself who are more than happy to spread lies to bought-off media who then put out stories which then the government itself can cite as information. You see how it works? They put out the lie. They leak the lie to their buddies in media, which is, again, just an extension of their public relations. Uh, the source of disinformation. I mean, this is this is the irony here. They kept complaining about Russian disinformation. They kept complaining about the threats associated with people on Putin's payroll putting out disinformation when they themselves were doing it. They themselves were responsible for putting out these BS stories. And not just one of them. It was a steady procession of garbage journalism. Sorry, goes on to say, this is a quote. May wrote that, uh, yeah, we have to get rid of this cancerous growth in our democracy. And uh, she said uh, her, her hair-raising email was sent to private accounts held by, get this, Attorney General David Lametti. Yeah, the dynamic duo, duo along with Marco Mendicino. Yeah, emergency preparedness minister. Billy Blair. Yeah, make it the three stooges. And then two members of the Liberal Caucus. The email was disclosed by the Public Order Emergency Commission. There is no record of any response from Cabinet. <laughs> so to their credit, they didn't respond to it. Otherwise, we'd really be laughing at them. But they got them. They read them. And uh, probably, I'm going to go further here and say, why don't we get some of our comms people to leak these, leak these stories to... Um, uh, CTV or whatever, any one of those bozos, they'll just run with them. They'll report CBC, especially. We have, <laughs> they're on like direct payroll here. The other ones are kind of indirect payroll. And now we see the global going cap in hand for more money from the feds to pay off their uh, employees, to pay their employees. So here it is. What happened was these people spread these bogus stories. These bogus stories originated from inside the halls of government itself. They wanted to discredit. They wanted to diminish. They wanted to demean these people. And they knew that the media wouldn't even question these rumors. They would just, they just went with them. I mean, we've seen these stories. That's really what happened south of the border. That is a page out of their book right there. When, they, when it came time to try and create stories 
that painted uh, Donald Trump as having been um, a false leader. Uh, he didn't really win. He was installed by Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Same crap, right? Because to them, well, we can we can kill two birds with one stone. We can go after Trump and the Russians, whom we hate. And so that was what they did. And so you had, you had government people uh, feeding crap stories to their buddies in the media who would then print these stories. Sources say... And in some cases, some of those source stories were other media people. They would say, yeah, you give me, you know, tell me some bogus piece of information. And I can say it's a sources story when, in fact, it was like the guy at the other end of the newsroom. <laughs> and that happened. That that was how they created this bogus, completely false narrative around Trump being installed or bankrolled or paid off or whatever by Putin. And that's the way these people operate. And they did the same thing during the convoy. You had communications people, you had hangers on, you had bozos like Elizabeth May involved. For all I know, she probably even believed those rumors. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether she really believed it or not. She was still spreading disinformation. So again, the situation where they accuse the Russians of spreading disinformation when they themselves are the ones doing it. How many times have I mentioned this? That what they accuse others of doing is exactly what they're doing. So in a way, when they tell you something, there is a benefit to it because you know exactly what they're up to. When they start pointing fingers and accusing other people of doing things, you know that that's what they're up to. Well, it's a little hard uh, to feel overly sorry for Disney, woke Disney which is squarely in the pocket of the CCP. Shanghai Disneyland shuts down after just four days after reopening due to China COVID requirements. And by the way, does anybody in the West feel sorry for Tim Cook and Apple and all the problems associated with their manufacturing of iPhones in that country? Do you say, oh, what a shame. What a shame. Uh, iPhone production in China disrupted due to these protests. Not only that, but the protests are the product of the uh, of the COVID restrictions, right? So you have these draconian COVID restrictions, you have people pushing back against them, and then you have disruptions in production. Apple to lose 6 million iPhone Pros from tumult at China plant. Production loses, production losses will affect Apple's most in-demand phones. Workers have fought back against COVID lockdown fallout. This is a story in Bloomberg, even. The tumultuous situation at Apple Inc.'s key manufacturing hub in Zhengzhou is likely to result in a production shortfall of close to 6 million iPhone Pros uh, units this year, Pro units, according to a person familiar with the assembly operations over there. The situation remains fluid at the plant, and the estimate of lost production could could change. And so this is going to cost Apple tremendous amounts of money. Do you feel sorry for these people? <laughs> okay, I admit I, I have an iPhone. But uh, I this talk about uh, Elon Musk, the fact that they're going to deplatform the Twitter app, no excuse given over uh, at Apple. But uh, they obviously don't like the fact that uh, Twitter now is leaning towards 
more free speech. I, this is something that will definitely grate the folks at Apple, the, the woke people over there. You can't have more free speech. Apple shares slipping on reports that iPhone production taking a big hit from unrest at the factory in China. Yeah, could see a major shortfall here. Slowdown comes amid protests against COVID-19 restrictions at Apple, contract manufacturer, Foxconn's flagship factory. I read somewhere there was like 200,000 people working at that facility. Customers who ordered the iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max phones could expect delivery times of 37 days. Oh my, shares of Apple fell 2.6% after uh, Bloomberg reported the company could see a production shortfall of nearly 6 million phones. Bloomberg citing a note uh, source that says Apple was, uh, with its contract uh, manufacturer Foxconn is expected to make up that shortfall next year. <laughs> well, by then, I guess there's gonna be a new phone, presumably. The unrest at Foxconn comes amid protests in China against the nation's zero COVID policy. Yeah, it was interesting reading CTV making excuses for the CCP. This was great. CTV story, you know, saying, well, you know, the the COVID zero policy saved lives. It really did. Yeah, China's zero COVID limits saved lives, but, but no clear exit. Yeah, that's the problem. It's not the policy itself which led to, I have no doubt, many deaths for crying out loud. They locked people in their homes. They welded doors shut. People starved to death. Is that in your story, CTV, you disgusting hacks? China's zero COVID policy saved lives. Yeah, yeah. Really? Based on what information? (laughs) There's no COVID spreading like wildfire over there. And they're going to say, well, that's that's because of the zero COVID policy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, that's about, as Tucker Carlson is absolutely correct, this is about squelching freedom movements right across China. They're trying to keep a lid on the fact that the Chinese people have had enough of Xi Jinping. But uh, don't tell CTV that. They don't want to hear it. They're not interested Anyway, getting back to Shanghai Disneyland. <laughs> I, I don't feel sorry. Don't feel sorry for you guys at Disney one iota. You want to jump into bed with those people? You want to you know play footsie with the Chinese Communist Party? You get what you deserve. Let's see. The official statement on the Shanghai Disneyland website reads, in order to follow the requirement... Of pandemic prevention and control, Shanghai Disneyland will be temporarily closed starting Tuesday, November the 29th. We will notify guests as soon as we have confirmed the dates that we can resume operations. Disneyland, Wishing Star Park, and the two resort hotels will continue to operate normally. The Shanghai Disney Resort initially ceased operations due to COVID in January 2020, then reopened in May of that year. No wonder Disney's been getting slaughtered. Their stock's been getting shredded. Then in November 2021, 34,000 visitors, get this, were locked inside after one woman who had been at the park the day prior either later tested positive or came into contact with somebody. I mean, honestly, uh, people are going to get COVID you know, life should continue. 
Just like if you have the flu. The world doesn't end when somebody gets the flu. The world should not end because somebody comes down with COVID. The next closure was in March of last year, of this year, excuse me, which lasted until June when Shanghai ended its strict lockdown. COVID is a tool for these people to go after their own citizens. It's so painfully obvious. It's not about safety. You had people die during house fires because they couldn't get out, locked in their homes. You had people committing suicide because they had no food. They starved to death. That's what's been going on. That's what COVID zero means, CTV. Wake the hell up over there. Aren't you embarrassed? Are you not embarrassed by the crap you put out? I'm embarrassed for you. Got to take a break, my friends. Back with more News Talk Saga 960 and the Mark Petronas Show after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. We're back with more News Talk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us on this Tuesday edition of the show. Tucker Carlson from Fox News uh, going on yesterday, talking about Dr. Fauci, talking about the situation in China, the close ties between the advisor to the White House on all matters involving the COVID pandemic, and what's going on in China right now. Of course, the uprising against the very same type of measures that China pushed in that country, which Fauci championed in the United States. Let's listen. Entire Chinese cities had been quarantined, the whole city. Huge numbers of people were forcibly locked inside their own homes, in some cases to starve to death. Secret police cruised the streets, forcing pedestrians into windowless vans for the crime of being outside. Household pets, dogs and cats, were declared unclean and beaten to death on the sidewalk. It was a hellish dystopian scene. So Lane returned to the US to tell Tony Fauci what he'd seen there. But Tony Fauci was not disgusted. He was not appalled by the human rights abuses that Clifford Lane had seen in China. According to a new report in the Epic Times, based on depositions that emerged this month, Tony Fauci was envious. This is what we have to do in the US, Fauci told Lane. So it's very obvious now that from day one, China was the model that American officials, public health officials, were using to respond to COVID here. And in fact, it still is the model. And in fact, lockdowns are still happening in China. They never really ended. And our public health officials have never stopped applauding those lockdowns. In April of this year, the Chinese government shut down Shanghai. Shanghai is the largest city in China. It's one of the biggest cities in the world. Shanghai has a population three times that of New York City. 25 million people. And all of those people, all 25 million, are now suffering indefinite lockdown. Shanghai is the largest prison camp in human history. So why is the Chinese government doing this to its biggest city? Well, no honest person believes it has anything to do with public health, because it doesn't, provably. As of Sunday, yesterday, there were no COVID deaths reported in China, a nation of nearly a billion and a half people, not one COVID death. So COVID is not a threat to the Chinese government. Political unrest, however, 
is a threat to the Chinese government, always has been, and that's the point. In China, as in the United States, COVID policy is not a public health matter. COVID policy is a tool of social control. COVID policy is a way for the people in charge to strip from their population the most basic civil liberties and remain in charge. That's very clear, and that's exactly why our leaders support what's happening in China tonight, because they'd like to see it happen here, too. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's really why you see very little pushback against China, against the, against the government there, uh, as its people uh, rise up uh, against these measures. And so what, what have you heard out of Trudeau? Nothing. <laughs> Think about it. If this had been happening in Russia, would he be saying something? You're darn right he would. But no, it's happening in China, and that's okay. Because remember, Klaus Schwab himself has said that uh, the Chinese model is, is one that he'd like to see around the world. Yeah, exactly. So as few as the civil, civil liberties are in the uh, People's Republic of China, it's still too much for the government there. And that speaks to the fact that when you have totalitarian regimes, they are never happy with the level of control they have over the people. They want more, always more. These people are sick in the head. Remember that. And also uh, in Brazil, you've got the ongoing pushback against what certainly appears to be a result that was not reflective of the actual votes cast by real people. There, uh, yeah, the, the election down there contested by millions of Brazilians. And uh, again, here's here's Tucker Carlson with his discussion around what's going on in that country. Go, and the left won. And when the left wins, you can't contest the outcome because, of course, it's legitimate. But not everyone in Brazil is convinced of that. In fact, millions of people think the election was rigged and they now have a criminal as president. So there are protests underway across the country. There are reports tonight from investigative journalist Matt Terman that the Brazilian military stands with the incumbent president, Jair Bolsonaro. Matt Terman joins us tonight. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. I know it's a complicated situation, but I, you follow this as closely as any English speaker. How would you summarize it? Well, you're right. It is a complicated situation. We are in day 29 of mass protests in Brazil, a democratic country with free elections. And we're talking not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, but millions. And what looks to be, when all said and done, will be tens of millions. This is the largest democratic protest in possibly human history. And the global media is crickets on this. It is totally being memory hold in real time. Uh, but the people are very clear. They do not want to be uh, led by a convicted criminal. And recall, Lula da Silva was convicted in three separate courts of 12 charges by 19 judges unanimously, not Bolsonaro appointees. This was years before Bolsonaro. And his judicial appointees in the Supreme Court had freed him in the last two years just so he could run in this race. And they annulled and vacated his multiple sentences, 12-year sentence, 580 days he served. They let him out to run. And Brazil has a law in the books that says no convicted felon can be an elected office. And they they vacated that. They absolutely put him on the chessboard so that they could attempt to control the outcome. And now the people in mass are crying foul, even in the districts where he supposedly has a stronghold, uh, say the Amazon with indigenous peoples. They're marching on Brasilia. Every city in the country is filled with protesters. And now the question is, what is to be done when you have a judiciary that is not comprised of judges in the classical sense, impartial, nonpartisan judges, but political appointees? 
parties and partisans who are working to skew an electoral outcome. Uh, and so the military has a special role in the Brazilian Constitution, Article 142, that says they are the ones to adjudicate separation of power disputes. And it looks like this will be coming to a head. Thankfully. And that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Because I guess the forces that uh, are pro-totalitarianism that uh, apparently installed some of their leaders, some of the leaders that we're seeing, uh, are not being able to get it past the people of Brazil. Uh, they're not able to convince these people that, no, your guy lost, and so now it's time for a communist and a convicted criminal to run Brazil. It's absolutely outrageous. But to their credit, the Brazilians, the Brazilian people are not having any part of it. And so here's where we get to see the people stand up against this tyranny. That's why it works, whether it's going on in Brazil or whether it's going on in Canada. <laughs> it has occurred to me, and it should be something that uh, Trudeau and his henchmen uh, figure out re real quick, that that convoy may have been just a warning shot. It may have been just a warning shot. He should think about that. This very troubling story out of the Netherlands, the Dutch farmers warned of this. And now it's happening. The Dutch government now moving ahead with the next stage of shutting down 3,000 farms. Uh, this is a story out of the Telegraph in the UK. The Netherlands to close up to 3,000 farms to comply with EU uh, rules as they apply to, well, climate change. They're going after our food supply. Think about that. The very essence of life itself. These people are scum. I mean, real scum. And I see a, uh, a tweet by Jack Posobiec. The Chinese military is getting ready. This is uh, video of tank after tank. So Mendicino and Lametti were talking about one tank. The Chinese are sending in armed personnel carriers tank after tank after tank. So they are getting ready to kill thousands and maybe tens of thousands of people to stop this uprising in that country, this popular uprising against a fascist regime. That's the situation. And the fact that our governments are not speaking out is a disgrace. A disgrace to them. Shame on these people. This story on the climate change front Dramatic recovery in global sea ice confounds the net zero catastrophists. This is a story that came out uh, November the 28th in the Daily Skeptic. It's a mystery. Why has Arctic sea ice cover roared back so quickly over the last few years? Nobody knows. Not one scientist on the planet can tell you, writes Willis Eisenbach in a short essay on the climate site, what's up with this, or what's up with this, rather. Uh, it might be noted, of course, that there was no shortage of explanations when there was a cyclical downturn, mostly to do with humans having something to do with it. Ice melting at the poles is still one of the crucial supports for the entire command and control net zero political agenda. Yeah, exactly. It's about politics. It has nothing to do with science. Because when you look at the science, you see uh, ice growing. The above graph shows changes in Arctic sea ice cover during the satellite era. Values 
Uh, let's see, we're talking about from 1991 to 2020, Eisenbach notes that around 1990, people have been talking about how human-emitted carbon dioxide is reducing the amount of Arctic sea ice. They had no proof of it. They just started talking about it. Good way to go after people. Good way to blame people. Good way to get control over what people are doing if they are the problem. When it started dropping very fast, there was talk we'd passed a tipping point. Of course, how many times did Al Gore use that term? From which the ice would never recover. Yeah, they made all sorts of dire predictions. Yeah, it's, it's, there's going to be no ice at all up there. Over this time, Eisenbach uh, said uh, his predictions of an ice-free Arctic Ocean abounded. They were everywhere. Old habits die hard, though. Despite the impressive recent ice recovery, talk of these tipping points, mostly an invention of so-called attribution computer models. So that's, that's all they are. They're computer models. They're not based on any real science. Anyway, those uh, have not ended. They're still predicting the end of the sea ice uh, in his recent Frozen Planet 2 agitprop series for BBC, David Attenborough made a number of model-produced references to the Arctic being uh, sea free, free of sea ice by 2035. Yeah, they've moved the date up, though, right? Used to be uh, 2000, uh, you know, in the 2010 range, and then they had to push that back to 2020 or whatever, and now it's up to 2035. And it's funny how they get to continue being wrong. <laughs> they get to continue being wrong, but it doesn't matter how many times they are wrong. It says, why has global sea ice followed this pattern while CO2 continues to rise in the atmosphere? Good question. The politically motivated alarmists constantly tell us that the ice will soon all disappear. Well, then there would be a correlation, right, between the rise in CO2 and the reduction in ice in the Arctic, but it hasn't happened. According to Eisenbach, not one climate scientist on the planet predicted these changes in sea ice. Here's the quote in the story. Here's the strangest part. Despite the failure of many predictions of the ice-free Arctic, despite the falsified claims that we passed a tipping point, despite the fact that the reasons for the curious and unexpected changes in the polar sea ice cannot be explained by anyone, and the changes weren't predicted by anyone, despite all that, climate change scientists still insist that they can tell us what the global temperature would be or will be in the year 2100. We're dealing with frauds here enough already. My friends, got to wrap it up for another edition of the Mark Petroni Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's do it again real soon, shall we? In the meantime, stay safe, be strong. Bye-bye for now. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.